0: You guys will never guess what happened today. My poly scriptures arrived. Um, for those listening on the podcast, that was a little bit of a joke because uh, we just got finished with a montage of the mountain of books that I received from the Text Society, which as you can see, as I predicted, uh, are now in the place where the Buddhist books what had formerly been known as the Buddhist books with just a tiny little sample of Theravada over on the side and then immediately jumping into the Mahayana Sutras, then into the Vajrayana Sutras, then the Zed and everything. Uh, now, we've got an entire shelf. This shelf here. I don't have my... Yes, I do. Uh, this this shelf here uh, of uh, of Theravada. Plus, actually, if you notice that that, that That maroon color is also here because there wasn't enough room even stacking them vertically to maximize, you know, the amount of books that I could shove in there, you know, fit in there. Um, There wasn't enough room for all of them. So I had to rearrange this top shelf a bit to make room for a stack there. Anyway, um, I want to uh, get to the reading today. For those of you who are new, um, you may want to start at the very beginning Go ahead and click here. That'll take you to the From the Beginning Buddhist Books playlist. This is Edward Reeves' Buddhist Books podcast, also known as Buddhist Books series on uh, YouTube. And, uh, oh yeah, I forgot to say, no longer will we hear this. Thank you, Denomolos. That is a very obscure reference. I might say Keanu Reeves, anybody? Uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey is what that was a reference to the sequel to Bill & Tents, excellent adventure. All right, and uh, today we've got um, Parshvanatha, which obviously I haven't memorized yet because I had to consult my little note here, and Mahavir, which I have memorized. Um, present, the 23rd and 24th tirthankara of Jainism. Speaking of which, if you're asking yourself Why is it uh, Jainism? If this is a Buddhist books podcast, then click here and uh, that'll take you to episode one of the Jain Sutras playlist. And for all this, I I apologize for the people listening on on, uh, the podcast because I keep talking to the people on YouTube, maybe because I'm seeing the, the video get recorded. And so I just keep thinking, oh, yeah, click here and click that and comment below. And, you know, I'm pointing up to the corner of the screen to tell people things. Okay. I am not going to dilly dally this time. I am going to get right to it because now I'm motivated because I've committed to read this thin book. It's very thin. Uh, and and when I finish this book, then we'll get to that. And, uh, I I still have to sort it and figure out what order I should put it in and what book I should start with. I, I need to do a bit of, uh, bit of research, that's going to be some homework for me. Um, and by the way, Polytech Society, if you're watching, hello, and you're welcome for that, uh, that free bit of advertising. And thank you for the books. I, mean, I did pay for them, but thank you nonetheless for sending them. Um, as promised, I'm going to try to read this sentence. And remember, this is the grammarians, whoever they are. Uh, giving the following analysis of obeisance. So this is the grammarian's analysis of obeisance in the original Sanskrit, one assumes. Matast vamuk matast vamut kristast New word, that was all one word. Uh, so all that, comma. Sometimes in Sanskrit, they just like, it's actually a bunch of words, but they don't put spaces between them. Anyway, uh, and then new word, okay. Etadadvaya, that one wasn't so difficult. Next, nukula. I think I know that first uh, couple of syllables. New word, vyaparo. He, it's spelled like hi, hi. But I mean, I'm assuming it's he. Uh, nama Dareta. Okay. Now you you remember the, the bit that ended with uh, master and disciple doesn't mean master and slave. That's the uh, <coughs> the 20th century saint uh, explaining the meaning of the grammarian's analysis on um, namaskara. So, moving right along to quote Fozzie Bear and Kermit the Frog. Now, the emotion of Namaskara. In scriptural language, Namaskara is an emotion of joy and appreciation. To become overwhelmed with adoration and to express respect and reverence toward those evolved souls who are more radiant and superior to oneself in qualities, is pramoda bhavana, or joyous appreciation. Okay. By practicing this emotion of love, the aspirant finds that the neg- The first thing that comes to mind... Sorry, I know I promised I was going to stick to the reading, but can you see this? Yeah. In my my early early years, uh, Tron, and indeed Flynn, inspired, I think, this joyous, you are so much cooler than me, you know, I am not worthy kind of thing in me. So that's what came to mind. Anyway, I'm going to keep reading. Um, I'm going to try not to interrupt. My plan, by the way, when I get to the Pali Sutras, is I'm going to stick to the reading. 90 percent, maybe every once in a while we'll have a little fun episode, but I'm going to turn this into like a books on tape, serious kind of thing. And we're going to bump the the episode length up from 30 to 60 minutes at that time. But until then, we'll stick to these slightly silly 30 minute uh, episodes. And then eventually this will be a serious podcast. And if you saw it on YouTube, you have an idea of what you're in for for the next Probably 10 years or so of, the, of these episodes. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> by practicing this emotion of love, the aspirant... Now, that's aspirant, the one who aspires, not aspirant. That's what you leave in your chair. Okay. So, by practicing this emotion of love, the aspirant finds that the negative qualities of envy, jealousy, and pride are uprooted, one acquires positive energy and as a result, the heart of the sadaka becomes broader, kinder, and more sublime. We have incredible stories in our scriptures that tell us of many an aspirant who brought about a transformation in his life by the sheer power of this emotion. The benefit of namaskara. We are now in an era of logic and reasoning. Remember, he's writing from basically present day, one assumes 100 years ago or whatever, uh, you know, 70 years ago, something like that. He was probably in the 60s, 50s. I don't know when he was writing or talking, but it's our time. He's talking to us about the scriptures from 2,300 some odd years ago. Okay. We, we want a logical we question everything around us. Yes, we do, don't we? Uh, I don't. Uh, we want a logical reason for rules that exist. Uh, for practices we are expected to follow. So we ask, why must we pay obedience to the enlightened beings? Can we really benefit from uttering their name? Can they do anything for us? To these questions, my response is, when did anybody ever claim that the Arihantas and Sidas have done anything for us? They have no direct relationship with our evolution or destruction. It is each individual who has to do whatever is required for his or her evolution. But one can draw inspiration and strength from these enlightened beings, and thus they are a motivation <clears throat> for our evolution. These five padas are our support. If you don't know the five padas, just think for a minute. Remember episode two of. Jain Sutras, the five bowings, the, the five things you're supposed to bow to, right? Okay. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Just a moment while I figure out where I was. Uh, okay. One can draw inspiration. These five padas are, are our support, our ideals, and our goals. It is our spiritual goal to reach where they have reached and to uplift our souls as they have done. Duty does not mean superficial efforts. In this respect, the Jaina path, J-A-I-N-A path. That's a new one for me. Cool. Okay, in this respect, the Jaina path, is in agreement with others who prescribe duties. But where duty is considered as help, deliverance, and magical powers, Jainism treads its own independent view. Ooh, that appeals to me as a 20th century independence-minded student. Clever, sir. By uttering the name of great souls like are haunt us the blemishes of sins are washed away just as thieves pack up and disappear with the rising of the sun an odd analogy but I'll, I'll, I'll allow it the sun does not directly chase the thieves away they disappear of their own accord at its very sight now it makes sense the, okay uh, the sun does not come near the lotus. Rather, the lotus blooms at the sight of the sun. Cool, I just want to sit with that for a moment. All right, I like that, okay, okay, all right. No wonder they call this guy a saint. He's making some sense. Uh, for the lotus, the sun is the instrumental cause can't help but think that the Buddha helped Jainism to adapt in a similar way that Martin Luther helped the uh, Catholic Church to reform Uh, I'm just throwing it out there Uh, it's just I'm just saying stuff it's a podcast that's what we do right just say stuff ask questions I'm just asking questions at least I'm not dropping offensive words too often am I I apologize if I am I bleeped out those ones in the last episode okay Uh, for the lotus, the sun is the instrumental cause and not the material cause for blooming. So also, the name of liberated souls, such as Arhantas, is the instrumental cause for the evolution of worldly souls. By chanting the names of great souls and masters, our thoughts get purified. Tron! By pure thoughts negative resolves are thwarted strength courage and energy infiltrate the soul and the realization of its true and magnificent form dawns on us oh i see what you did there the sun clever clever seat at that moment the karmic shackles get destroyed in the same manner as Hanumana's fetters fell away when he realized his own strength in Lanka. All right, okay, that's cool. I can see why some people like to read contemporary authors. Huh. Okay, at least some of them. Worship of Virtues. There may be many sects in Jaina religion, and they may have their differences, but they are all unanimous in their view on the Namaskara Mantra. This is the central axis on which all pilgrims unite. With the Namaskara Mantra, all great role models of human endeavor are worshipped, and the importance of bowing to their superior qualities finds great emphasis. You might have noticed that many of our non-Jayana brethren emphasize on personification in their mantras. Somewhere, Indra is worshipped, and at other places, Vishnu, Shiva, Brahma, Chandra, and Surya are venerated. But in the Namaskara mantra, you will not find the names of any persons or gods. Here, obeisance is paid to those who have attained supremacy by the evolution of their qualities. Whatever their caste, creed, color, country, culture, or sect it is not to the attributes of eternal life that we bow. I really like this guy. Uh, But to the spiritual qualities of the soul. The evolution of spiritual qualities such as nonviolence and truth is the reason for this worship of qualities. Meaning of the five padas. The first Universally beneficial Pada of Namaskara mantra is that of the Arhanta. The popular meaning of Arhanta is, quote, the great soul that has conquered the blemishes and karmic enemies of the inner self, such as desire, anger, ego, and greed. There's no end quote there, but I'm going to go ahead and put one there. Another meaning of Arhanta is, Quote, supremely venerable soul, worthy of worship and capable of emancipation. End quote. It's there this time. Okay. Uh, fix your typos, JN Society, or whoever it is, Vir- Virayatan. Hey, Virayatan, there should be a quote here. All right. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. Yet another etymology declares that the soul which illuminates all creatures of this world with the light of knowledge rests on the seat of Lord Arihanta. The second pada is of the sida. Sida means perfect. The great souls who have found complete freedom from karmic blemishes and the cycle of life and who have attained immortality, perfect knowledge, and liberation are addressed as Sita. Before achieving the Sita state, one has to cross the Arhanta state. One cannot become Sita without becoming Arhanta. Stated in worldly language, it can be said that Arhantas are those who have freed themselves from life and siddhas are those who have freed themselves from bodily bounds. The third pada is that, I mean, yeah, I get it, and it makes sense. However, however, well, I should just keep reading, shouldn't I? I don't know. I just see the hint of one of those little things that's like, well, yeah, but, eh, yeah. I don't think the Buddha necessarily would disagree with that, but I think that Padmasambhava would disagree with that. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. The third Pada is that of the Akarya. In Jaina religion, conduct is of great importance. At every step of the path, right conduct and vigilance are proof of the superiority of the Jayana Sadaka. Sidebar on what I just said. Uh, you know, on the other hand, there, there might just be an asterisk there uh, that, that becoming free of life doesn't necessarily mean you have to quit your job and run away from your wife and kids and responsibilities and stuff. You can become free from your life and still live it. That's what I'd say. I don't think you necessarily have to literally abandon your life. That's my only comment. The Buddha, of course, did abandon his life. But uh, apparently his son became one of his disciples, so I guess it all worked out in the end. And he was a prince. He had a palace. It's not like his wife and kid were going to starve or something. He was just like, uh, you know, someone else is going to be king. I'm going to go do something else. You guys have fun. I know you'll miss me. Sorry. You'll be fine. Here's a lot of gold. Yeah. People call him a deadbeat dad. Eh, eh, No, not so much. Not so much. Uh, You know, like people who want to play us versus them football teams and Christianity is better. Okay. Where were we? Oh, wow. One, one, how could one ever know where we were? Um... Yes, okay. The third pada is that of the akarya. In Jaina religion, conduct is of great importance. I think I said that already, but it's okay. I'll just keep reading. At every step of the path, right conduct and vigilance are proof of the superiority of the Jaina sadaka. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, no, it just says, verily, those who follow the, remember Indian English, Verily, those who follow the right conduct in their own lives and inspire others to do so in their leadership of the Sangha are known as Akaryas. The Jaina system has five main tenets. nonviolence. See, whoever wrote the Lotus Sutra didn't know that the Jains also used the word Sangha. Eh, I'm just putting it out there. Probably because they were in China a thousand years later. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'll stop. I'll stop. I really will. Um, okay. The Jaina system has five main tenets, nonviolence, truth, non-stealing, celibacy, and non-possessiveness. Okay. They might've been at Nalanda University. Uh, the Akaryas have to follow these five great vows and help others follow them as well. What were they? The Ikaryas have to follow. Oh, right, right. Okay, let's back up a little bit. This is important. I'm reading the words and not even thinking about it. Okay. The JNS system has five main tenets. All right. Remember, we're reading this to find out what it was that Buddha decided to move away from. Okay. Not that he didn't necessarily agree with most of these nonviolence. I'd say the Buddha agrees with that one, right? Truth. Non stealing celibacy i i mean again i think the buddha agreed with that one but again you know later later people started to find a way around that one you know this guy over here uh, mr Rinpoche. as long as you don't finish the act then it's doesn't count <laughs> it's like catholic school rules okay Celibacy and non-possessiveness. Okay, the Buddha agreed with all of these five. The Akaryas have to follow these five great vows and to help others follow them as well. They must help them atone for their wrongdoings while following these vows and help them continue to tread on, to tread the path. Monks, nuns, lay women, excuse me, laymen and lay women comprise the fourfold congregation. That's not very uh, 21st century. I'd say that there's seven. There's monks, nuns, and uh, genderless monk nuns of seven different kinds. And then there's the lay people of seven different genders. So that's 14, sir. Update your stuff, Vieranda, if you want to be taken seriously by the woke. Okay. Sorry. I'm not, I'm just being a little ironic. I mean, he's talking. Okay. I don't mean, I'm not making fun. I'm not really making fun of him or them. I'm just saying stuff. Just saying, just talking. I'm just talking, right? So what podcasters do, right? Uh, Okay. Where were we? We did it again. Monks, nuns, laymen, and laywomen comprise the fourfold congregation, and the responsibility of the administration of this spiritual exercise falls on the Akaria's shoulders. Could you remind me who the Akaria is? The third path is that of the Akaria. Okay, the one who is doing right conduct and nonviolence, truth, non-stealing celibacy and non-possessiveness. Okay, what falls on their shoulders? The administration. Oh, okay. So that's how they do it. All right. <clears throat> so they're the cancellarius, basically. The fourth pada is that of the upadhyaya, who bestows upon us the wisdom of discrimination. That you know, again, discrimination in old timey slash Indian English uh, doesn't mean the same thing as when it comes to mind for those in the West because discrimination, you know, there's just so much of it and it's not the right kind in the West. Um, Here, discrimination means being able to tell what's right and wrong. Ah, but there is no right and wrong. Only thinking makes it so. Eh, eh. Get get over there. Get over there. Discrimination. The wisdom of discrimination. Um, uh, Amitabha Right, Amitabha, the red one, the red Buddha in the West, is the uh, the wisdom of discrimination. Uh, he's the Buddha family, the wisdom family, from which Siddhartha Gautama Buddha, you know, uh, Shem, uh, Shakyamuni Buddha, and Padmasambhava are both said to uh, be from, according to, you know, those guys. But anyway, that's not Jainism. But it's a side side note hmm so that phrase wisdom of discrimination clean it up work on it meditate on it if you've got buttons wisdom of discrimination that's a contradiction in terms i assume if you're like have the patience to watch this podcast that you're not like having your buttons so easily pushed you would have turned this off in episode two or one or zero um anyway Where were we? The wisdom of discrimination. Right. By knowing the body to be different from the soul, the sadhaka understands the difference between the inert body and the conscious mind. Oh, excuse me, and the conscious soul. The inert body, the conscious soul. This helps to bring evolution and idealism into one's life. Therefore, the responsibility of imparting spiritual knowledge rests upon the Uba yaya. I don't know about you, but I'm gonna like watch and listen to this one again, probably two or three more times before I before this sinks in. But it will. It will eventually sink in. I mean, I feel like I I'll, I will eventually understand these five. Uh, If I listen to this, if I listen to myself read this a few times. Okay. Uh, So the responsibility of imparting spiritual knowledge rests upon the Upadhyaya. The Upadhyaya is the premonstrator. The uh, Akarya is the cancellarius. The sida, what rests upon their shoulders? Did we, did it say anything? Nothing rests upon their shoulders. Okay. They're perfect. Before achieving the Sita, one must say... Okay, stated in worldly knowledge, it can be the... All right. Okay, so uh, it seems that the... The Arihant is uh, completely free from life, right? And then the Sita is is free from the bondage of, of the body. And then the... Uh, these, these lesser ranks, the, uh, the one who's responsible for administration and then the, the upadyaya that's responsible for knowledge and teaching. And finally, the fifth pa- pada is that of the sadhu. The meaning of sadhu is the sadaka who is engrossed in the sadhana of the soul. Every individual is searching for accomplishment. But only great souls think of accomplishment for the soul's evolution. Um, Again, it's not clicking right away, but I'm going to listen to that a few more times and think about it. Because it sounds like there's something there that's very interesting. By the Jaina definition, sadhus are those who give up worldly passions and keep their five senses under control. Stay with within the boundaries of celibacy and conquer anger, pride, delusion, and greed. They follow the five great vows of nonviolence, truth, non-stealing, celibacy, and non-possessiveness, and worship the five simitis and three guptis in a proper manner. What are they? Oh, well, um, okay, maybe he'll explain later. They follow the five tenets of knowledge, vision, conduct, penance, and vigor without faltering. Such sadhus can be either men or women, or whatever else, I'd say. And then in quotes here, just no explanation, it's in quotes. It says, "Sadhayanti." Gnana-di-saktibir-maksamiti-sadava, end quote. Thank goodness. All right. Uh, You know, I've been going up to 34 and 35 minutes lately, but, uh, you know, why, why aim for that? Okay, so um thank you all. I liked today's reading. It's been a while since I've actually been happy with the reading. Um yeah, I like this uh this Upadhyaya Amar Muni, I have to say. I uh, I give him obedience. I do. Uh my temper sucks. I, I, I struggle with it. Um you know, if uh, if it's a little too hot, if uh, if I'm in a car <laughs> just that if I'm in a car or, you know, people are talking a lot or there's a lot of honking or there's bugs, then, uh, yeah, I have, I struggle with my, uh, with my temper and, uh, you know, I see wisdom in this. I'm not necessarily just approaching this from the standpoint of, oh, uh, what would the Buddha criticize about this? But yeah, these are the teachings he received and then he received, paid, passed it forward, paid it forward. Uh, in, in the form of Buddhist doctrine, with just some slight changes, which, again, I feel like modern-day Jainism obviously would not uh, suggest that a person should starve themselves. And probably maybe even 3rd century BCE, uh, Jainism might also not suggest that a person starve themselves. And, uh, you know, perhaps uh, our our good friend, the Lord Buddha, might have something to do with those reforms and revisions. Maybe they were like, hmm, he has a good point. But we're not gonna be Buddhists, obviously. We're Jainists, we've been around since forever. We're not gonna like suddenly be like, oh, uh, forget about these guys, we're gonna, you know. So there's Jainism and there's Buddhism. And so far, you know, they seem very similar. Um, uh, A friend of mine was saying that the Buddha emphasizes more meditation and silence where uh, Mahavir uh, and his friend uh, and Mahavir and uh, Parshvanatha, and Jainism in general emphasize more like nonviolence and these kind of behavioral things. But I don't know, in the Dhammapada, the Buddha emphasized those things too. Um, but yeah, I haven't heard much about silence yet. And maybe that's, that's one of the things that the Buddha brought. But I feel like he wasn't there to like hack down Jainism. He was like wow, thank you. This is great. This is just what I needed to help alleviate the, the the suffering that I was going through. And, uh, and also, you know, uh, let me, let me boil it down, streamline it and break it down into four of these and eight of these. And, and then it's perfect for export to China and, uh, eventually Richard Gear, right? Okay. Well, thank you all for joining me on, uh, on this, uh, journey. And, uh, yeah, that was pretty exciting. Those books, wasn't it? Um, so the Polytech Society—they—they uh, they provide all these all these English translations of the the old Theravada, the original Theravada. I mean, you know, the early Theravada, the the stuff that Buddha taught, the stuff that the Lotus Sutra says. Eh, täh, throw it in the fire. Just listen to this. Um, someone uh, commented on uh, on one of my posts. Maybe I'll read it in the next episode. But he, he broke it down very nicely and it kind of made me go hmm that uh that those folks that uh that were there when they were putting together mahayana they were theravadins and they were schooled in all of these things they knew all of this stuff and uh then they were like okay let's let's take it over that over this hill into this zone and that um a lot of that is kind of metaphorically expressed in the words of the buddha in the lotus sutra and i was like okay all right okay you know I'll see that and raise you a dollar, you know. Um, but you know, personally, you know, and I mean, again, and I've apologized and retracted a lot of my just ranting about how much I hate the Lotus Sutra. Um, you know, I, I, I am uh, happy to eventually come to understand it in its place and to finish reading it eventually after I finish all of these books. So this isn't going to be the same color, I don't think. Thank you all for tuning in. And uh, all right, let's let's close before I ramble on for another 10 minutes. It's already 36 minutes to the north and to the south, to the east and to the west, to the spirits of light among us and to the spirits below. We send out our reverent love and compassion. May all beings be happy. May all beings be serene. May all beings be in peace Oh